American Timelines is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. Find out more at QueenCityPodcastNetwork.com. So now I'm obsessed with time. Come on, tell me about the time. Had it all in my head tonight. Had the time of my life. When the words all come down, like blues on Tuesdays come down. Throw it all away. Throw it all away. Welcome to episode one. 172 of American Timelines by History for Jerks. My name's Joe. God, I think my my volume's up too loud. You told me. Because you just broke my eardrums with that introduction. You want me to turn it back down? No, I, I'll try to survive. All right. Just try not to uh, scream. No Wilhelm screams, please. Ah. <laughs> All right. And that's Amy. Yes, I'm Amy. Amy's back, everybody. I'm back. Aha, hi in your face, all of you who assumed I killed her. <laughs> or that I left him. Or that she left me for another man. That I finally had enough of his shenanigans. Or another woman. She may have left me. You don't know. You don't know what goes on behind closed doors with us. That's true. And it's none of your business. So quit asking. Yeah. All right. But we're together still. Uh, <laughs> we're in February of 1954, and I am drinking a delicious Reptar juice by 26 Acres Brewery. It's the best beer ever. And I am having an Indica. Um, no, we can't. Oh. That's not legal here. She is not having an Indica. I don't know what that even means. Uh, but, so we left off. If you remember last episode. I started the beginnings. A cliff. It was a cliffhanger murder mm-hmm. that happened in India, right? And I'm forcing Amy. I forced Amy not only to listen to the last episode where I left the cliffhanger with all these body parts that were found uh, wrapped up in newspapers, right? Um, then he forced disgusting. me to. Research it myself and get on this episode. Did you really research it? And take it away. Stuff I gave you. Yeah. So I, yeah, I needed a guest and I decided this time I want the most beautiful guest in the world. Now, last week's guest was very attractive Art Funai and Milo O'Brien. They're attractive fellas. Right. But I wanted to up the ante a little bit and get somebody a little tiny bit more attractive than they are. Yeah. yeah. And it's you, Abe. You're a little more attractive than Art Funai. I got a dog licking my face. Yes, there's a dog. We got a new dog. New dog but time. It's not, this isn't the new dog podcast. The new dog podcast. No, this is an American yes. Timeless podcast. Yes, let's change it. Come on. <laughs> what, where we just talk to our dogs yes. and record it? New dog podcast. All right, listeners, please uh, vote <laughs> uh, if you want this to be called the new dog podcast. Please tweet and, us. And change everything and just talk about the dogs. Yeah. And, and talk to the yeah. dogs. And yeah, we'll just talk. We'll just record ourselves talking to the dogs. <laughs> oh, he's a good girl. Oh, he's a good girl. We, oh, he's a good boy. All right. Rowdy, all right. Like that. So let us know on Twitter or Instagram or Facebook. The dogs are growling in the background. Okay. So we're going to jump into February of 1954. So before we pick up on where that murder was going, oh okay, uh, we have some things that happened before it because your story doesn't pick back up to the, towards the end of February, I believe. Right. So real quick, and I don't have anything good. This one's mostly going to be you. February 2nd, 
you remember me talking about Bevo Francis from Rio Grande College who scored all those points in a college basketball game? He scores, like he holds all kinds of college basketball records. Okay, I take your I, word I, for I it. I talked about him a long time ago. Yeah. Anyway. I, if you, Honey, you could have talked about it earlier today, and honestly, I would not have a memory of it. Just telling you. Is that because you're not? It's because you don't sports anymore, are or? truly the most boring things in my opinion. Boring. I mean, it's I am H O. I am H O. In my humble opinion. Yeah. I've never seen somebody shatter a backboard. That sounds sexual. I'll shatter your backboard, baby. All right. Anyway, Bevo Francis from Rio Grande College scored 113 points in a basketball game on February 2nd, 1954. 113 points by one guy. Wow. He may as well have been playing by himself. Wow. That same day. So February 2nd. Already forgot day. it. Already <laughs> forgot it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, forget this. The <laughs> Nutcracker Ballet, choreographed by George Balanchine. George Balanchine. Bernard Shaw. George Balanchine with Maria Tallchief as the Sugar Plum Fairy. Maria Tallchief. Tallchief. It opened in New York, establishing its popularity in the U.S. Okay. February 2nd, 1954 is when it first established its popularity. The little nutcracker. Nutcracker. And it's been going on incessantly ever since. That's right. Every single year. I, I, I would bet, no matter where you live, listeners, I guarantee you every year you have the opportunity to see at least eight different versions of the Nutcracker, if you want, uh, within driving distance of your home, probably. Probably within walking distance. Walking distance. Yeah, actually. Uh, it's everywhere. It's infected us. And I think it's time for a new thing. You're right. I don't know what that new thing is, but it's not Nutcracker. All right. Uh, so anyway, it's super popular. So there, I know people whose kids do Nutcracker every year. I know... Theaters who played earlier. Also on February 2nd, 1954, we have a birthday. Hit it, Matt Truman. Ego Trip, the greatest band of all time. Amy, Amy hates birthdays. Amy hates birthdays. American model and actress Christy Brinkley was born on February 2nd, 1954 in Monroe, Michigan. Oh, she's a... Monrovian. She's a Monrovian right up the street from where I'm from. Monroe is really is it? right by Toledo. Yeah, it's just basically, it's basically Toledo. Okay. Uh, she was born Christy Lee Hudson, though, uh, the daughter of Marjorie Bowling and Herbert Hudson. Her family moved to Canoga Park, Los Angeles, uh, where her mother, Marjorie, later met and married television writer Donald Brinkley in Bel Air. Hmm. Uh uh, Donald adopted Christy and her brother Greg Brinkley. During this time, the family lived in Malibu and then the Brentwood neighborhoods of Los Angeles. Brinkley was educated at Paul Revere Junior High School. Okay. And attended Les Lycées Franchais de Los Angeles from 9th to 12th grade. I don't know what you're even talking about. After graduation in 1972, she moved to Paris to study art. And then she married Billy Joel. And that was later. the end of that. And then she was naked in, in a vacation movie with Chevy Chase. That's right. And it's uh, and she was born now. She's alive now in our world of American timelines. And then on February eighth, nineteen fifty four, at least this didn't happen on February eighth, but this was the first I could find this reported mm-hmm. in Time magazine. Uh, but then this article popped up another. Uh, issues of papers and things. So it's sort of 
may be speculation. It might not be real or not, but this was in the paper. And the story seems implausible, but this is what's in the paper on February 1954. It says, Member of the Wedding. In Boston, seeking annulment of her marriage to William Jordan, Mrs. Margaret H. Jordan testified that she dozed off during their wedding banquet and awoke to find that the bridegroom and guests had departed and she did not see Jordan again until five years later. The, that was the bride that had that The did bride that? fell asleep at the wedding <laughs> reception. And didn't see the groom again for five years? She woke up and everybody had left. Even the groom had left. And she woke up, maybe passed out, drunk, and then didn't see the husband for five years and then tried to get an annulment. What? Why didn't she see him again for five years? None of that's clear. That None of that was in the paper. Well, what Margaret H. Odd... Jordan. It was from um, Weird News. Weird oh, Universe. Yes, yeah. yes. It was one of those weird things that happened, apparently. That is weird. So, yeah. And I couldn't right. get to the bottom of it. I searched the internet for... Almost uh, 30 seconds and didn't find anything. <laughs> and then February 11th, 1954, were the sixth annual Emmy Awards. Oh. I Love Lucy and Donald O'Connor and Eve Arden all win. Uh, this was later referred to as the sixth primetime Emmy Awards. They were uh, to honor the best in television of the year. The ceremony was hosted by Don DeFore at the Hollywood Palladium in L.A., the ceremony included several new categories, including Best New Program, as well as awards for Supporting Actor and Actress in a Television Series. And this was the first year that acting nominees were nominated for a specific television show. In the past, they were just simply nominated as individuals. Did you know that? Oh, okay. Some of the other winners. Uh, I Love Lucy won Best Situation Comedy. Uh, the United States Steel Hour one best dramatic program uh, <laughs> whatever that was <laughs> best audience it was probably you know everything else the other things that were up were nominated that year were craft television theater yeah it's Phil all Cole sponsors Goodyear, tv playhouse yeah yeah it's probably just dr- melodrama yeah the best audience participation quiz or panel program was i guess they both won this is your life and what's my line both won i guess beating out i've got a secret and two for the money and you bet your life lots of game shows Best children's pro- program was Kukla, Fran, and Ollie, which a lot of people know about that, the puppets. I don't know that, that was one. was like a Howdy Doody type of thing. I oh, think. okay. Best mystery action or adventure program was Dragnet. Mm-hmm. This, this, the beginning of the propaganda yeah, of to police, po- yeah. making police into heroes. Yep. The best new program was Make Room for Daddy on ABC. But I guess also the United States Steel Hour. It's got two things listed as winning. Best male star of the regular series was Donald O'Connor. Who did he, what did he play? As himself on the Colgate Comedy Hour. Oh, <laughs> whatever that is. <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I guess there's... I'm yeah. glad they got away from that. Calling everything... Like a, the brand name. Brand, yeah. I mean, they still do that with sports stadiums, but other than that... Yeah. It's just kind of obnoxious. Art Carney won Best Supporting Actor as Ed Norton on the Jackie Gleason show. Uh, all right. And that's enough about the freaking Emmys. You know what? Yeah, if you want to hear more about Emmys, it. go listen to an Emmy podcast, you jerk listeners. Just kidding. Just kidding. You're a good listener. 
You're good. You're a good listener. February 18th, 1954, the first Church of Scientology was established in L.A. Oh, thank God. By L. Ron Hubbard. Thank God for that. Now, I guess the first... like it, God, that's the story you should have covered. Well, I looked it up, and it already... It actually began operating in 1952, and oh. he'd been selling Scientology books and technologies in 1953. The actual church, the first church in L.A. opened in 1954. That would have been a, good, a fascinating dive. Well, not really, because... It's all. It's just creepy. It's just. I mean, there wasn't anything in that year that happened other than they, that they opened it. But. But you could dive into the whole thing of what it is and that. Yeah, I guess I should have. No, I'm just gonna berate you a little bit more yeah. about it right <laughs> now. Well, I mean, the whole thing about it is that it sounds good. Like when Hubbard first opened it, he said his goal was a civilization without insanity without criminals and without war where the able can prosper and honest beings can have rights and where man is free to rise to greater heights at the aims of scientology uh yeah but they believe all these crazy things that's the weird thing after the formation of the church of scientology hubbard composed its creed the scientology creed emphasizes three key points being free to enjoy religious expression the idea that mental healing is inherently religious and that healing of the physical body is in the spiritual domain it all sounds good and i wondered i wonder if maybe when it started it did have good intentions like well on the religion. surface it sounds good yeah, it's it does. The, the deeper you get they so don't you get t- they the don't bring up the the thetans and all that shit they don't bring that up until you're several thousand dollars into the whole thing well, and that's have, the yeah. whole thing is yeah, you have to money, buy yeah. these books buy, and they're thousands of dollars yeah. each book and in order to keep going you have to buy the next one and the yeah. next one and so it's a money it's a total money grab and and by the time you you see the you know all this crazy shit about outer space and all that. Yeah, you're already so indebted financially. Yep, and psychologically by that time. Well, and if you've ever watched, we learned a lot from that. Um, dang it, what's the gal's name from? Oh, um, uh, everybody's yelling really at good. it right now. The gal's name who was in that. Movie with the Lee, Kevin James. Lee Remini. Leah Remini. Leah Remini. Leah Remini. Leah Remini. I think there's an extra Nini. No, there's not. Nay, nay. Leah Remini. Anyway, whatever that show is that she's got yeah. is fascinating and maddening. So definitely, <laughs> we're big supporters of that. Though we couldn't remember her name. <laughs> uh, but it was like, it's just shocking what yeah. happens in that. It's like any cult. It's a cult. That's what it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it just gives me the creep, so I didn't want to even cover it, but I probably should have gotten more into that. But I wanted to kind of swiftly move through this, because I, I know you have a lot to cover. Right. Because then February 23rd, 1954, mm-hmm. was the first mass inoculation against polio with the Jonas Salk vaccine. And uh, and it took place at funny, Arsenal Elementary School in Pittsburgh. There weren't any anti-vaxxers everybody it was i think there were i i don't know i from what i understand everybody it was like a patriotic thing to do your duty and get vaccinated yeah i mean we weren't in such a polarized i mean it was polarized at different times but we didn't have basically propaganda tv in the united states to lie and spread misinformation it wasn't in anybody's interest 
to lie about the vaccines, like which it is for some reason now, which makes no sense. Um, yeah, I know. Like, Why would you want to yeah. kill your followers? Well, I don't get it. It's that they. I'm trying to think. Yeah, I don't get it either. Except that they don't. They know the death rate is relatively low, but they know everybody will get sick. But really, it's just money. It's all money, and it's just in an effort to polarize us even more. I well, guess. and to sell the fake medicine. You know, if you're an investor in this medicine and you have yeah. a pandemic coming, I'm going to invest in this medicine. If people get inoculated, you can't sell that medicine. So that's part of the yeah. Mo- that's one motivation. The other motivation is, you know. If the other side says it's safe, they can't be right about anything because you need to get reelected because uh, of your ego. I mean, all kinds of crazy. Yeah, it is. it is. But on this day, the first polio vaccine, the first mass inoculation against polio happened at an elementary school in Pittsburgh. Uh, a group of children from Arsenal Elementary School in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, received the first injections of the new polio vaccine de- developed by Dr. Jonas Salk. Though not as devastating as the plague or influenza, poliomyelitis was a highly contagious disease that emerged in terrifying outbreaks, and it seemed impossible to stop. It would attack the nerve cells and sometimes the central nervous system. Polio caused muscle deterioration, paralysis, and even death. Even as medicine vastly improved in the first half of the 20th century in the Western world, polio still struck, affecting mostly children, but sometimes adults as well. The most famous victim of a 1921 outbreak in America was Franklin Delano Roosevelt. Future President Franklin Delano Roosevelt. Yep. Then he was a young politician, and the disease spread quickly, leaving his legs permanently paralyzed. And if you look this up, you know polio in the beginning of the vaccines and stuff. I mean, polio is so frightening. I mean, we had your mom on. Yeah, talking about about it. She saw somebody in an iron iron lung. lung. And Mm. when you look it up online, there's all these pictures of people in iron lung, and it's it's terrifying. Yeah, it's just like that's what that's the. That's what they did. Yeah. So I think part of it too was just that it was such a devastating disease. Yeah. Whereas COVID is, and it was children. Yeah. Like yeah, that's true too. It was mostly children, you know. So, and seeing what happens to them, it's like so scary. Whereas Uh, COVID is like you don't see somebody on a ventilator. Yeah. You know, like you. It the the general public isn't shown that. Here's the here's the part of it that I. You know, I almost feel like I shouldn't share because it's like people already are skeptical. But after mass inoculations in 1954 began, everyone marveled at the high success rate, some 60 to 70 percent, until the vaccine caused a sudden outbreak of some 200 cases. After it was determined that the cases were all caused by one faulty batch of the vaccine, the production standards were improved. And by August 1955, some four million shots had been given. And cases of polio in the U.S. dropped from 14,647 in 1955 to 5,894 in 1956. By 1959, some 90 other countries were using Salk's vaccine. So it was just that part about there was a faulty batch. And I think that's what people were. There was some hesitancy that had merit, I feel like, in this new thing. Just being that COVID's, everybody felt COVID's brand new. You you're you're going to just make like vaccines should take years and years and years to perfect. And right. You're just throwing one together. Right. But they didn't know, like some of the backstory I later heard was that, no, they've been working on this for years. And yeah. it's, it's related to several other 
vaccines. You know, vaccines and illnesses. So it's not like COVID is completely brand new of a thing. Right. Like it's COVID-19 is, but there's been COVID. All kinds all of. All kinds of them mm-hmm. before that they've already got, you know, similarities or whatever. That's that's from what I understand. I'm not a doctor or a scientist. Or I'm, do you. And I don't play one. Perform like one in the bedroom. I've never. I definitely in the bedroom. I don't. Oh. <laughs> little hint to the listeners that we're still in the bedroom. All right. And I don't That's act like a scientist. Wait, do do you want me to act like a scientist? No, in the bed? no, okay. no. Well, some of this was from history.com. Actually, all of, it, all of it was. And then on February 26th, Michigan Rep. Ruth Thompson, a Republican, introduces legislation to ban mailing Obscene, lewd, lascivious, or filthy phonograph records. Rock and roll records that were oh obscene, lewd, You couldn't lascivious. mail them? You weren't allowed to mail them now. Oh, okay. <laughs> she was like really upset by that. Don't put them in the mail. All I'm right. I'm not sure. I tried to find more. It's just that she introduced that. and She sounded like she'd be a blast at a party. She was an old bitty. Yeah. Um, Old Karen. It was one of the first Karens. One of the first Karens in 1954 w- did not want anybody mailing rock and roll records. <laughs> she was she was the first woman to represent Michigan in Congress and the first woman to serve on the House Judiciary Committee. So she was breaking down the door. And then I think you have something on February 26th also, right? Oh, yeah. Hold on here. Or is yours 24th? And then we have to squeeze that in later. Hold on your hold your dick on. Hold Whoa. Whoa. Hey. All right. The vitriol's coming swift and fast from the old ball and chain. <laughs> 27. Oh, that brings us to February 27th, 1954. Oh, this little dog is all over me. This little ball. Okay. All right. So <clears throat> Oh, clear that throat, baby. And I'm going to I'm going to put my computer down. And I'm going to sip some reptile juice while you tell me this awful murder story. So, you, so we know so last we heard. La- last bodies. we heard, there they street parts. cleaners found severed arms wrapped in a newspaper outside a toilet near a crematorium. Yes. Then they found these other body parts um, in another part of the city. Like and it was like an up, upper portion of her body chopped into three portions. Uh-huh. Um, the head, the eyes were gouged oh, out. Right, the head. ears of the lips torn off. Facial skin peeled off. <laughs> Like, really gross. Yes. And it then they also really found gross. a dead fetus. Yeah, a dead fetus, yes. It's, okay. Yeah, ugh. And it's all in India. Yeah. But close by, right? Yeah. Like, one was a public market area outside Yeah, of they were near each other. Yeah. So, um, in um, recent times, there have been many cases of gruesome murders around the world and in India. But, but back then, this was really... New. Unusual. Um, This was called the Bellarani Dutta murder case. Oh, I was saying it wrong, wasn't I? I'm not saying it right. Bellarani Dutta. Dutta. Bellarani Dutta. No, I actually looked it up. Bellarani Dutta. Bellarani Dutta. Dutta. Um, It was rare at the time, anywhere in the world. The case had obviously created a sensation throughout Kolkata. It... Ripples may have faded with the passage of time, but even to this day, the Bellarani Dutta murder case is considered the rarest of the rare cases in criminology research. It doesn't sound like that's your words. It's not. <laughs> You're quoting someone. 
After the body parts were retrieved, the Kolkata Police Commissioner didn't waste time in handing over the case to the detective department of the Kolkata Police. Um, and uh, his name was Samarendra. Sa- <laughs> Sa- Samarendra. Whose name is this? This is the police chief. Okay. Samarendra. Samarendra? Not Ghosh. Samarendra, n- not Ghosh. Or can you spell that? Or no, I'm not spelling that. We're just moving on. All right. I did it perfectly. We're moving on. So, All right. Okay. On the on the day of the postmortem <laughs> on January 31st, yeah. doctors tried to piece together some sort of a semblance of a human body. Um, and it was a female human form. Yeah. Um, the, her feet, they said, were unusually large. I don't know what that means, really, beyond that. Um, and there was a deep scar on her left thigh. Okay. So those were kind of distinguishing characteristics. Because her face was all go- fucked up and Oof. gouged out eyes and all Is that. Is that a scientific term? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so what we have here is a face that is actually <laughs> fucked up. <laughs> so the doctors decided that she had died by a sharp object near the neck which in medical parlance was said to be anti-mortal and homicidal in nature. Okay. The other wounds, which were there a lot of, um, were all caused after death. Really? Yeah. So, the police moved on. Maybe somebody that knows her, right? Right, but they don't know who something. she they don't know who she is. They got to figure that out first. Mm. So, Wait a minute, but are they considering other I mean they dismembered the body, so Right. She obviously wounds? was murdered. Yeah, so. Obviously. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So tracing the identity of the victim was obviously imperative if they had to find out who the murderer was. But right. it was not going to be easy because he had peeled off the skin on her face and mutilated her Jeez. face and everything. Ugh. But nowadays, DNA. Well, thing, what right? they did was they got in touch with this Dr. Marari Mohan Mukherjee. Oh, perfect. Mukherjee. I know how to say that. Not, Mukherjee. You do? I know somebody named... And Anita Mukherjee. Oh, Mukherjee. Yeah, she's cool. Had, I, I might not be saying that right. Who headed the plastic surgery department at this hospital nearby. Okay. He lived in um, th- th- around the about 70 miles away. Okay, and he was a top, close. top doctor in the field. So right. he got down to the job with a mix of hope and trepidation. Man, what, that's how you got to get. You got to get down with hope and trepidation, baby. So he used plastic surgery on the face of the corpse to get a hint of her before she had been tra- disfigured. Huh. Um, he did, you know, make some semblance of it, but it was just really hard because it was so bad. So destroyed. Yeah. So you... So what I'm picturing, I might not be picturing the right thing, but like if you, if you lose your face, like all the skin on your face, like somebody can reconstruct what your face looked like just based on your bone structure. Like yeah. if you put new skin yeah. on your face, do they've you done this similar? with they've done this with skulls. They have to try to see what they look like. Yeah. Like you, yep. Oh, and hmm, that's fascinating. Mm-hmm. I mean, it can't be perfect because of there's other factors, you know, yeah. your fat content and yeah, all that kind of stuff. Kind of but anyway, yeah, so they whatever. took pictures after the plastic surgery. They took pictures and published them so because they're trying to see if anybody recognizes this person. Person, right? But there wasn't any response, okay. and there was no progress, um, even after a week. Um, so then, after 20 days, they had to cremate the corpse. 
Okay. Uh, so they kept samples of hair and bone. That and you, you, is there a reason why? They I think it was a religious, religious type mm-hmm. of thing. Okay. So the police had conducted a thoroughly professional investigation. Hundreds of people who lived or had passed by the area where the body parts had been disposed were questioned. Information was sent out to police in other parts um, to track down possible missing persons complaints. But there was no lead still. So um, the last week of February, still no progress has been made. Right. But Samarendra was not one to give up easily. His Samarendra is a very good detective. He was. So on February 25th, yeah. he was on his way home after a really long day. He was fatigued. Um, he had a cough due to cold. Cough due to cold. Poor guy. Yeah. So he was in his office vehicle um, between home and work. And he decided he needed to buy a bottle of cough syrup. Yeah. So Seems he plausible. finds these. He sees these two medicine stores, which is what they call them okay. in the paper, probably drug stores. Yeah. And um, but I think medicine store is just as accurate. Yes, I do too. Um, the man outside the Royal Medical Store was uh, putting the shutters down, but then the other guy in the other store was still open. So okay. he asked the driver to stop, and so the store was kind of run down. Um, the shelves were pretty empty. There was only a few medicines in there. And the only employee sat there bored and just kind of sitting there. Maybe twiddling his thumbs. Yep. And then when he saw the customer, he kind of perked up a little bit. Yep. And, um, so then the guy says, the police guy says, I want cough syrup. And then he says, let me see if I can find one. And then after a few minutes, he says, I can give you medicine for fever and headache. The cough syrup stock needs to be replenished. Oh. And so then the guy, the police, Sir Marendra, he's like, so what's the point of keeping a shop like this open? Why not shut it down? Where's the owner? Hey, you son of a bitch. And he says, unfortunately, sir, he hasn't dropped by even once in the past month. I see. That's the reason. What's his name? Ask him to shut the shop. His name is Biren Dutta, sir. Uh, is oh. that how you said it? Biren Dutta. Dutta. Biren Dutta. Man, I can't remember now. I've sent word for him many times. He's usually here every evening. This is the first time I'm not seeing him around for such a long interval. So he couldn't find the cough syrup. He goes back to the car, asks the driver to start the car, but then he can start thinking about the conversation he had with yeah. this shop guy and um, about how the owner hasn't been around in a month okay so um he w- tells the driver turn around and he wanted to ask some more questions so um he got the address of the shop's owner and it was at 5542 turf road okay um all right hold on so so he was still you know he's not feeling good but he he still is like he's got to go right now and check this out. You gotta check. This doesn't add up. Yes. So he gets there and it's locked. Neighbors tell him that Biren Duta had lived here for many years now. Yeah. He'd been staying there with his wife Bella and their six year old son. Uh-oh. A heavily pregnant Bella had been taken to Shishu Mengel Hospital in the end of January, Uh-oh. Biren had told them. But the neighbors had neither spotted him nor her, his son since the 30th of January. Oh, this is not good. Two and two are getting put together. Yep. So then he confirmed that obviously no one named Bella Duta had been admitted to that hospital right. in, the, in the past one month. Right. Um, and so the mystery starts to kind of unravel at this oh, point. Boy. All because he happened to 
stumble yeah. upon a pharmacy? Yep. So yeah. he knew the guy's name. They knew his shop, where he lived, all that. And his wife was missing, who is pregnant. Yes. So apparently they find out that he has another address on Harish Mukherjee Road, not too far from Turf Road. Okay. This place was put under police watch. So in the early hours of February 27th, a man was seen coming out of this house. His face was covered with a shawl, and he was tailed for a few for a few paces and then a bit more until he reached Kadar Bose Road. And he stopped by a was stopped by a, a plainclothes policeman at this point. Okay. And then the guy, the policeman says, Are you beer and duta? And it kind of caught him off guard. So he says, Yes, but why do you ask? And he says, Is Bella Duda your wife? And he says, Yes, but why do you ask? Just answer what I ask you. Where is she? What can I say? Such a shameful thing. She has eloped with her lover. Get in the car. We are from Lal Bazaar. The rest we'll discuss there. Oh, we're going off to Lal Bazaar. So, a little bit about Birnduta. Yeah. His childhood was spent in a village near Budge Budge. Oh, Budge Budge. Oh, Budge Budge. In North 24 Parganas, a district bordering the north of Kolkata. Oh, yeah. His father was a sub-inspector in West Bengal Police Force. Okay. Passed away when he was only a year old, and his mother died a few months later. Oh, poor kid. Didn't have any parents. So his sisters, Abba and Kanak, were married and lived in Andal and Kolkata. Andal. And the other one lived in Kolkata. Okay. With both his parents dead, he had to stay on on in the village with his grandmother, and okay. he was admitted to a school there. Okay. And he had two cousins, Nabani and Jotindra, okay. who lived in the southern part of the city. So then when he was eight or nine, his cousins brought him to Kolkata and admitted him to this school, this Ramrick institution. All right. Um, but he had really poor grades. He skipped class a lot. Um, Nobody keeping him in line, man. Right. He was start smoking and drinking. He was warned, but but this only resulted in more problems. Just sounds like the the uh, an incubator for a murderer. And then he so he gets kicked out of grandma and grandpa's, and he goes to live with sister um, Abba. Okay. And her husband owned a medicine store, so he started running errands and did some work relating to that business. Okay. So between 1934 and 1944, yeah. he stayed with his sister and brother-in-law in Andal. However, his cousin Nabani, who had initially brought him to Kolkata, still held a soft spot in his heart for their Baku. Is wh- Beku. Aww. Beku is what they called him. Nice little soft spot. He was in regular contact with the cousins and often visited Abba's home. During one visit, he found Beku's was kind of flustered acting. Yeah. And, um, like, I don't know. He said he, it says that his, his heart filled with inexplicable love and pity for his cousin. And then he instantly decided to bring him back to Kolkata. So basically he bonded with him, I guess. And then he decided to bring him back to Kolkata. It's just written really weird. Okay. Um, you can maybe skip that. Yep. I, yeah, you probably could. All right. Biren was 24 years old at this point. Okay. So he goes, um, and hold on, hold on. Hold on. Oh, he decides to open his own medicine store, basically, is what it boils down to. And okay, it's he decides to open his own medicine store. He's got some experience now, and he's going to open his own medicine store. And he then he falls in love with uh, Bella. Okay. And they have a kid. They have the son. And then... So everything he, seems fine. And then he meets this other woman named Mira. 
and decides he wants, and he starts cheating on Bella with Mira. Oh, this is where it's going to start heading down a bad path. And so then he decided to have a double life. Oh, no. So he's got a secret wife? So he ended up, yeah, he ended up, he was never married to Bella. They were just together, living together, and they had that son. And then um, when he got with Mira, he actually married her. Oh, but Bella didn't know about Mira, obviously. Mira didn't and, know about Bella. Obviously. Probably. And so he would take turns. Oh, my God. And he would tell him the other one that he had to travel for business or whatever. Man, I don't know how or why you would do this. Like, how? Could I know. You, like, it's enough with just one. Uh, right? Even one lady from killing Or him. man. No, lady. Me. But. <laughs> but, yeah. Or a man. Yeah. It's, it's hard. Like, relationships are hard. Why would right? you think you can handle two? I know, I know it. Like, think about it. He probably had zero time to right? himself. He was just try- trying to keep that. Well, so going. then he d- finds out that Bella is pregnant again. Oh, boy. and he's like, "Shit, I can't afford this anymore. I can't afford bo- all of this." Yeah, you you couldn't, pal. Maybe you shouldn't have been banging two ladies. I know it. So then that's when he decides he's going to kill her. Ass right to check that your ass can't. Cash? No, your face right Because his business started to falter and all this stuff, so okay. he decides he's going to kill Bella before well, she that, has the you baby. Know what? Think about it rationally. That is the only option. So I'm he, just kidding, so he, kidding. he gets, he gets her alone, and he, <sighs> he says he pretended to be angry. He told her, "This is not my child. You've taken advantage of my regular absences." At first, she cried. Then we had a big fight over this. Oh, no. That's what he said. So um, then his son. Um, Poor lady. She's probably a nice person. Only then, only his son Bowden, then six years old, was now in the way of committing the murder. But oh, no. um, his imagination came up with a plausible story to tell Mira. He told Mira that his a friend and his wife had died in a road accident, and they left behind their only six-year-old child. Oh. So, if Mira wouldn't mind, could he bring the orphan home? Like he's not going to ever tell her, like. right? So then Mira, she hears that story and she feels so bad for this kid that she's like, "Of course we can yeah. take him in." Um, of course, by now Bella is nine months pregnant. Oh boy! So Beering goes back home from the pharmacy at about ten thirty p.m. and found Boaten sleeping soundly. Bella served him dinner and Beering ate quietly. Suddenly, he told her gruffly, "I am not going to spend money on a child that isn't mine." As soon as he hissed at Bella, her patience ran. Her patience ran out. Do you think I'm not aware of your flings? She retorted. This is all quotes from this thing. Yeah. He had been waiting to strike, and now he started raining blows on her. He dashed for the kitchen, got hold of a sickle, and struck her on the neck. Oof. As if one strike was not good enough to kill her, he kept striking her. She was killed instantly. As her lifeless body slumped to the ground, he emptied a cupboard and put her body inside. Oh, God. Then he washed away the blood, but not before he had taken off all the gold jewelry on her. Ugh. Then he calmly went to bed. The, fo- the following morning, January 28th, he began to implement the plan exactly the way he had chalked it Just out. left her in a cupboard overnight? Yep. Where's the boy? Where's the six-year-old? Um, well. In bed? Yeah. So then this, there's this other woman named Benu Roy. No, it's, is it a man? Hold on. Yeah, it's a woman. Okay. Uh, she was a close friend of Bella and lived alone in a room on the first floor of the house. Oh, no. So she adored Bowden and used to spend a large part of the day with the child. Um, she said later, I called Benundi in the morning and told her that Bella had to urgently, to be urgently, oh no, this is him saying this. Sorry. There's too many names. Um, he says that he called, so he calls this neighbor 
in the morning yeah. and told her that Bella had to be urgently admitted to the hospital late that night and okay. the delivery could happen any time, would she have trouble keeping Boaten in her care I for see. some days? Yeah. So she agrees. Um, and then the ba- you know the little kid inquired after his mother in the morning and um, I, the woman said she had been hid- admitted to the hospital and would be back with the baby brother or sister soon. Yeah. So then those things were taken care of. Then Beeren left for his medicine store for the day's work. Bella's body lay locked inside the cupboard. Oh my God. He'd worked out his plan to the last detail by now, including how he would dispose of the body. Yeah. If the police could not find the body, how would they ever track him down? So around 9.30 p.m., the employees of the pharmacy left for the day, and Beeren started his plan. He picked up some Jaguntar newspapers stacked yep. in his shop and headed straight to the turf road home. What happened next? He said, I took out Bella's body from the cupboard. Then I chopped off her head with a sickle, severing it from the body. Next, I cut off the ears, nose, hair, hands, feet, chest, belly, and all of all all of it one after the other. I peeled off the skin from her face, too. After I had wrapped each of these with Jaguntar newspapers and tied them with a coconut coil rope, I put them back into the cupboard and locked it up again. The room was flooded with blood and obnoxious, putrefying smell, so I had to wash the room several times with phenol, which I think is alcohol. Yeah. This part of the work done, I relieved beer and went off to sleep. Now for two nights in a row, the body inside the cupboard. He woke up in the morning and left for the pharmacy as usual. He stayed at work all day and got back home at night. He took out all the packages, put them in two big strong nylon bags used when shopping for the family's ration. Then he hired a rickshaw and went near Caligate Park, but stopped a few paces away. Got off the rickshaw so he wouldn't have the rickshaw puller around to witness anything. And then he dropped some of the packages in the park. He dropped off the remaining packages near Kiratala Crematorium outside a public toilet on the way home. See, that's that's the part I don't get. Is like, why is he leaving these packages places for people to find them if he doesn't want anybody to find the body? Well, I don't know. On the return to the house, he did another round of washing and cleaning the floor. He also removed blood stains splattered here and there and cleaned the cupboard thoroughly. Then um, the next morning, he bumped into Benuti while leaving for work. How is Bella doing? I saw one a visitor. He told her, no, there's no need for it. Perhaps the delivery will happen tonight or pressure is fluctuating, blah, blah, blah. He told her lies. Right. Um, Well, he he can't really tell the truth now, can he? Then he disposed of her clothes and her makeup. In um, a water channel that was nearby. So the Kolkata police assembled witnesses. Uh, Bella's jewelry was retrieved from the where that was. The sickle they found that was used to chop her to pieces was found. Uh, Strands of her hair were stuck in the sickle and on the female bottles. Dry stains of blood samples were collected from the floor. So they had all this evidence. Yeah, because you probably, in 1954... You don't have the the things to clean up a grisly murder like that, probably. Right. And even though they didn't have DNA and all that, but, yeah. I mean, it was obvious that somebody was murdered in that place. Ugh. And um, they found that evidence that she had been to a gynecologist and had been pregnant. Okay. So the fetus that they so had they found. Know, yeah. Plus, this guy's suspicious, and you know it's somebody who had a, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, basically, so. they charged him... And he was convicted. He was. And he was hung. Whoa. Um, let's see. He was hanged on the morning of January 28th, 1956. Okay, two years later. And that's the story. Wow. That's the story, Larry. Thank you for covering that grisly, awful, awful murder story. I think I just would have done it justice because I just not into murders. 
Well, and and you love murder, so you, I helped you find a murder. Good job, now babe. You no know more murder. Good job, babe. Are you happy now that you get? You I get saw a meme. I saw a meme that said something like, "Um, I don't want anybody murdered or anything, but I'm running out of true crime content." <laughs> <laughs> See, that's it. Like that's what I'm thinking. That's that's ex- precisely why I think you people are weirdos. <laughs> um, by the way, I did hear somebody recently called a maymay. What? Instead of a meme, I said maymay. Who I said thought, that? I can't remember who it was. I was like, oh. Did you slap him? It wasn't somebody personally I know. I was like, am I saying that wrong all this time? All right. May, may. Anyway. Watch me whip and watch me may, may. Anyway, that's been February 1954. Yes, American Timelines. And yes, yes this was an American murder. No, it wasn't. But it was a murder that happened in 1954 and America existed. And maybe people heard about it. You better work, bitch. You better work, bitch. What is that? Why is that? <laughs> Why did you say that? Okay. Thank you for listening. Thanks, Amy, for coming back on American Timelines. Don't get used to it. I hope to have you back in a couple weeks. Yeah. Again soon. We'll it's see. We'll Christmas see. Break. We can record some murder stories over the Christmas break. Perhaps. Perhaps. Thank you guys perhaps. for listening. It means a lot. I know that. I know you're listening, you people out there. Thank you. We love you. Um, Thank you. I love like you. Spend time with each and every one of you mm, drinking cold beverages and high fiving and sniffing each other's ears pubes. and hair. Not pubes. What the sick? What? There's a pandemic. Thank you for listening. <laughs> Bye. Get out of here, Chuck. Get. Oh, it's time to get out of here, Chuck Berry. Yeah, you're supposed to say that. Thank you for listening. I forgot. You're too busy making pube jokes. Well, somebody's got to. You weren't coming out with them. <laughs>